this week we'll talk about starting and running a consultancy in the data space. We have a special guest today, Alexandra. Alexander was a product manager at Delivery Hero. Then he became a co-founder and failed a few startups. And currently he is running a data analytics agency in Berlin. He was also almost an archaeologist. I'm really curious to hear that story and we will probably hear that a bit later. And uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm very happy to be here. So the questions for today's interview were prepared by Johanna Bayer. Thanks, Johanna, for your help. And yeah, before we start with our main topic of starting a data consultancy, let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far? And please mention this archaeologist part. Sure, absolutely. I can start with that. So, I mean, since I was six years old, I think, and up until I was 18, like, if you ask me what I'm going to be doing in life, I would tell you I'm going to be an archaeologist. I always loved history, geography. I was collecting, like, dinosaurs and things like that. And, you know, like, I applied, like, my entire educational path in high school was skewed towards me going to study archaeology, etc. And I applied and I got even admitted uh, to two unis. And then that summer, I actually went and worked on the excavation side to just get a feel of what it means to be an archaeologist. And then long story short, I, when I came back, I decided I'm going to stick to the history books and, and documentaries. And uh, I went to study something else, uh, which was political uh, sciences, international business. Uh, that's my educational background. It's pretty much everything and nothing. <laughs> and then, you know, after that, I somehow managed to get into a startup e-commerce ecosystem in, in, in Warsaw. I even co-ran a startup on my own before I moved to Berlin, which is also a, a story. And then, you know, I moved to Berlin in 2014, uh, end of 2014, I moved for a job. It was a product um, management job at Delivery Hero, one of the spin-offs at the time. This is where I met Marco, who is my business partner or a business better half. And, you know, we, we built pretty cool stuff uh, during our delivery of our times together. 2019, we decided to quit to do something on our own. We went through a few ideas for a product that was always the, the kind of main goal. Like we wanted to build a product company and did a bit of consulting in the data space in between to also get a feel of, of what problems are there. And then build a like our main product that we built and tried to market was data stack as a service, which is like an entire data pipeline from the ingestion to, to actually modeling and visualization, including the warehousing. That didn't pan out for various reasons. And uh, we decided to focus. I'm wondering why. Because like it seems like uh, I see a lot of startups who work in this area and some of them are doing fine. Yeah, you have. Y42, Clean AI, there's plenty of them. Mozart Data, there's Veld, there's there's quite a few of them. So we did a very extensive market validation of that idea. And it's we believe that the market is not there for it. Like or, or the market is very, very small. Because essentially what you're selling is um, you're selling a technology. Selling technology to tech people is very difficult because they will always think that they can build it faster and better themselves. And even with the tooling, like, you know, if you if you look at the options that you have in the tooling landscape today, you can build a data stack in a day or two, you know, and that's going to that's gonna do a decent enough job. Can you actually build it or this is what developers think? I mean, you stitch you stitch tools together, right? You take you take an ingestion, you, you take Airbytes, DBT, um, BigQuery, or Snowflake, or ClickHouse, or whatever, and then you do transformations with DBT, and you plug MetaBase on top, and you're good to go. Uh, the real problem starts when you actually put data into it, and you now need to map your business into the into the data model. Like that's and that's something that is very difficult to automate. So. And this is uh, probably difficult, right, for a startup that provides data stack as a service. Yes. Right, because you only provide the stack, right? And then all the business knowledge, all the business transformation happen after that. Exactly. Exactly. So if you're selling it to tech people, that's a very difficult sell. And then if you turn around and go to that with the business people, let's, go, let's say you go to a CMO or a CFO or a CEO, and you say, hey, look, I have this fantastic piece of technology that now you can use. And I was like, well, what do I do with it? So oh, now you need a data analyst to actually run this. It's like, okay, so now I, you're selling me something that I need to not only pay for, but now you're telling me to hire someone to do my data for me. Like, then I just hired the person and that person to, to the data, does the data for me. So what's the point for me paying? So it's, you would need to build it in a way that you also automate the modeling. 
And you know, those tools also exist. I think there is CLA that automates reporting for marketing, for instance. There are certain tools that we automate reporting for finance. So basically you go directly from the source to a, to a report. And that's value. That's valuable. Tech on its own, it's it's not really valuable. And mapping, uh, you know, and then the real work goes into the data model because at the end of the day, you, you just need to map the business into into the tables and entities. Is this how you ended up doing consulting? Yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah. So basically, I mean, initially we had a, we had a few other ideas about the product, and then the first one we also validated very quickly, and that it just doesn't make any sense, and people. Were product managers, and it was it was actually the idea was inspired by my inability to pull data from a SQL database back in the days at Delivery Hero, and I was always bug Marco to do it for me. Uh, we validated that this is not something that like product managers don't have that problem that much. They have bigger problems to solve first as a community. And then, okay, so you know, we already quit our job. What can we do? Okay, let's go to consulting. Let's actually discover the problems in the data space. And that's how we started. And then while doing certain projects, we got gigs, et cetera, we discovered that, hey, maybe we can do the data stack as a service because we always, whenever we start a project, very often we just need to do a stack. And it's repeatable, repeatable work. So that's how it that's how it started. And then we tried, we actually found the first customer like very, very quickly from the beginning of like, you know, we started searching for the first customer. It took us two weeks to land one and we had zero products. We had nothing. So we basically, we, we sold an idea that we're going to solve that problem. It was the data stack idea or the second one? The data stack idea. Uh-huh. Yeah. We, we sold it without having a product. Uh, and that actually led us to a bit of a wrong path going forward without getting too many details. Yeah. So when we when we decided to stop doing that, when we did like a, a really extensive market validation, whether we can sell this, whether the market actually exists, we decided to go back to consulting and fully focus on that from then on. I'm wondering how did it happen that you managed to sell something, to sell an idea without having an actual implementation? Was it like a part of your user research? You were reaching out to companies to understand what their mm-hmm. problems are and they are like, okay, yeah, we have this problem, solve it for us. Mm-hmm. So so basically like, and I think this advice this advice is applicable to, to any kind of business startup service that you want to provide, like any anything like that. Whatever you do, you, you really need to first see whether the problem that you're trying to solve exists and whether there is enough people to pay for it. And so what we what we did is I actually I need to I need to get royalties for that because I go around and I talk about this book a lot. The book is called The Map Test, right? And Great book. What that book allows you to do is it allows you to validate your business idea without having anything just by talking to people. And the trick is that you don't, you never tell them what you're doing. Because the moment you tell people what your idea is, they will lie to you because they want to be nice to you and because they know your ego is on the line. And it gives very, very practical advice on how to talk to people and how to extract information that you get very valuable feedback. And, you know, you do 10, 15 conversations like that, that tells you a lot. And you didn't have to write a single line of code. So we were trying to do mom tests. So we were, uh, you know, putting messages in various Slack communities or, or different job boards, et cetera. We're trying or picking people directly. We're just trying to talk to people about the problem of, like, is not having a technology that can process your data, is that a problem that hinders you from actually doing useful stuff with it? And we offered free consulting for the time. So like you talk to us and then we'll offer you free consulting in, in return so that the time is also worthwhile for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we managed to find a person that that was our first customer. We talked to them. They explained it was a CTO of a company. They're still our customer because the product that we put still runs and our customer still is paying for it. And yeah, he, at the end of the conversation, he simply asked us like, okay, like, so we told you about our problems, like clearly this is a problem for us. What are you trying to do? What's in it for you? And we just explained the idea that we had. And he basically said, you know what, like make an offer. You can, you can build it for us. And we'll mm-hmm. be our first customer. That's amazing. That's how we sold the first copy of something that does not exist yet. Mm-hmm. So there is a book called Mom Test. The book describes how to extract information from people from these user interviews 
mm-hmm. to really understand if the problem you are trying to solve, uh, if it exists, and if people want to pay for solving this problem, right? So you try to do this pump test, you reach out to different people, and some of them were quite interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in general, people will talk to you. Like mm-hmm. if uh, people are genuinely, they're willing to help. If they know that they're not trying to sell them something, and they'll be very keen, like, because people talk, love to talk about themselves. It's just in human nature. And so if you just know how to nudge and steer the conversational direction, you can learn like really a lot. Can you maybe give us an example or like how exactly does it work? Mm-hmm. Like let's say you want to build a startup that sells data stack as a service, right? So how do you mm-hmm. approach this user interviews? You usually ask them about, you need a general, like fairly general leading question at the beginning. Like for instance, like, you know, if you're talking to a data analyst, because our initial target was data analysts. And we knew that data analysts at the time, they don't really have enough, you know, very often they don't really have enough technical skills to put together a stack like that. And all the, like, they keep extracting, you know, they download the CSV from Salesforce. Uh, they have some Google Sheets. They copy and paste. There's a lot of manual work. So it's, you know, prone to errors, et cetera. And they try to stitch things together and do analysis on top of that. If they would have a central place where all those sources are in, which is, you know, the, today is the standard that's called the modern data stack, you can then run your SQL and you can do the visualization. You can serve, uh, you can help the, help the business to answer this question. So, you know, we would ask them, hey, what do you do all day? Where does your time go? You know, and then you start with that and you listen and tune in for little nuggets of like, oh, maybe they have a problem here. And then you dig deeper into that. And you never ask questions like, oh, would you buy this? Would you pay for this X? Would you, because if you ask someone a very hypothetical question, it's like, yeah, forgive me, this amazing piece of technology, yeah, I'll, I'll take it, right? Like, oh, is this a problem to you? It's like, yes, it's a problem. That's not useful information because people also like to complain. You, if actually they tell you it's a problem, you still need to gauge whether it's like, how big is that problem? So you ask them, you know, when was the last time it happened? If you don't solve it, what are the consequences? You know, is it just a mere inconvenience? Because sometimes it's like, oh, okay, whatever. I copy and paste this thing, you know. But if they tell you like, you know, if I don't solve this, then potentially we're risking losing revenue. So, well, that's a big problem. Right. And then you're trying to figure out how frequent the problem is. Is this something that happens every day? Is it something that happens? It's painful, but happens to them once every six months. Then, yeah, maybe it's not big enough. You know, you're trying to extract very, very concrete examples of their workflow, where they suffer and what the actual suffering, what the, what the pain is. And how do you record them? So I guess during the interview, you record the conversation, right? And then you somehow capture this and bunch of google documents or something like that right yeah yeah this i mean these conversations are usually you have the i mean we didn't record them so we would take notes we would basically whenever we could it would be the two of us doing that call it's actually very beneficial to do it in pairs you don't want to more than two people because now if it's just one person that you're interviewing there are three people on the call or in the room it's it might feel a bit overwhelming and stressful so people won't open up that much, but like if two people is fine. So one person is responsible for asking the questions and nudging in the right direction. And the other person is responsible for taking the notes. And then the other person also needs to be the kind of the guardian of the conversation in the way that whoever asked it, it's very easy to start the pitch, especially when you already have something and you never want to pitch them because the moment you reveal what you're doing, again, they're going to start lying to you. I mean, some people are direct. Some people will tell you that, you know, well, your product doesn't, it's stupid, doesn't make any sense. Most don't, right? But most don't. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, you can't have 1,000 conversations to hope that you're going to, you know, land 10 people that are super honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to avoid the pitching as much as possible. And basically, the, the other job, the other person's job is to also make sure that whoever is asking questions doesn't get too excited and jump ahead with pitching too early. Your background is in product management. I mean, archaeology aside, uh, <laughs> what is uh, the background of Marco? Is he also... Marco, no. Marco is a software engineer. Software engineer. Okay. I guess it was two of you, you and Marco, who were mm-hmm. doing the interviews. So how did you split these responsibilities? Who was taking notes? Who was asking questions? It depends. It's, uh, ah, so it you kind of you could do which... both, right? Okay. Yes. Let's see. 
Interesting. Yeah, and uh, so you did this 10-15 conversations, right, following the map test, and then at the end you found out that there is no, like the problem is not big enough, right? It's not really that. Yes, so we first saw the mistake that we did was we sold it without having it, which is an ideal scenario. Like if someone is taking out their credit card and telling you, yeah, I'm going to buy this without you having anything at all, that's a great signal. You just need to have enough people that will do that. So we got excited. We went and built it. We launched it. We did everything, etc. We helped with setting it up with the models and with setting up the metabase and transferring some of the... So they already had metabase, so we transferred some of the reports onto the modeling layer that they were faster. They actually run. And it's like, well, if we can find a customer in two weeks without having it, like that, well, we should just like go out and spam everyone like this is mm-hmm. sitting on a, on a gold mine, right? So was it the case? No, it wasn't. So we, we spent a good few months trying to acquire the next customers and they, it never happened. And that's when we were like, hang on, like maybe we're just like, we were trying to run before we can walk. Let's go back to validating. And we went back to validating. We managed to line up, I think, 15 people that could be potential customers. And then after talking to them, doing the proper mantis, et cetera, it became kind of obvious that it's just not there. Like, I mean, this product makes sense, right? Like it makes sense. There are companies who use it and it's just, I don't think there's enough people that enough companies that where it makes sense or that the life cycle is long enough because, you know, you sacrifice a certain degree of flexibility with products like that. It's a black box. You don't know what it is and you either can build it in an opinionated way or you build it in an open way but in an open way i mean then it's either open source or um, there are different pieces of it like you know ingestion transformation etc and you can't really like doing a compromise is, is very difficult you can't have it inflexible but yet allow for certain changes like that's that's just very technically challenging to actually build uh, so you need to pick and if you're picking it as, um, you know, this is what it is. This is a black box. This is, you don't really ever know how it works. Yeah, like people don't like that. We talked to some of the customers on our competitors. And, you know, there is something to be said that if your team is a little bit more junior, then this provides certain guide rails and they cannot mess up too much. I mean, they still can mess up models, right? But you can mess up models always. So that like, having that kind of a rigid structure can basically make up for certain mistakes that less experienced people do while working on the pipelines. But these clients of yours that you landed during conducting this mom test, mm-hmm. so they were interested in the product that you want to build, but at the end you and like you kind of ended up consulting them, right? So you said that let's build this exactly. thing for you. Exactly, exactly. Because what they really wanted and what the real benefit was, it was the free consulting that they got out of it when actually we were building it. And because we, we built their models, we went and built their modeling layer in our tool, obviously, but like we wrote the SQL and that's the real value. We went and we understood their business and translated it into SQL models. And that was the real value, not the shell that would run it, right? And it took us a while to realize that actually, because you know, you're excited that someone is actually willing to pay you for the product that you built and that can lead you the, the wrong path. So how did you realize that building these models is what you want to do and uh, you and Marco started this consultancy company? It's where the value is. When you're working with, you know, data is to us bridging a gap between the business and, you know, whatever is hidden in the data that you collect. And it's first and foremost, you start with that. There is someone has a business question, they need to take a decision. You start with that. You spend time understanding what it is. And it's a lot of, you know, talking to your stakeholders. It's, there is a lot of product work there. Like, I always keep saying that there is so much overlap between the product manager's jobs and data analyst's job because data teams don't have product managers, usually. You know, some bigger ones, bigger companies, of course, yes. But most of the teams don't have that luxury. So someone needs to go and do that work to really uncover. Because at the end of the day, like, data teams, they... You know, it's an internal product. If you're talking like B, like business intelligence, et cetera, it's an, it's an internal product. You're serving your internal customers. They work in other teams. And this is where the value is. And this is what's difficult. 
once you know more or less what needs to happen, I mean, there is a lot of talk. You know, we have ChatGPT now. There's you know a lot of talk about data science, etc. Like a lot of companies can do without it. A lot of companies don't have the data, so like they need you know help with basic things. And the basic things take them 80% of the way. And once you get that 80% of the way, then you can start thinking, okay, how do I optimize the next 2%, the next 3%, the next? And this is where this is where machine learning, this is where data science really come into play and really can be that valuable. But at the beginning, uh, and, and we're talking, you know, we're, we're talking here like medium-sized companies, we're talking startups post-seed, pre-series A, series A, that kind of level, unless your product, like unless your value proposition requires AI, right? Like, and, and requires machine learning. That's a different story. Then you really need to invest from the get-go because otherwise you don't have a value proposition. But when you're talking about analyzing the business, understanding what, how the business is doing, predicting how the business can be doing, there is, there is a lot of very simple and pragmatic and very often boring things that you can do that not require a lot of effort, but to you know, dig this out, you really need to understand what is needed. And that's a difficult part. I want to ask you about the simple, pragmatic and boring things, but maybe before that, curious, so why is this called consulting? Like, do you just go there, ask questions or you... No, no, we're, we're hands-on. We are implementing things. So, I, I mean, you know, consulting can have a very, very negative connotation, right? Like, let's be, let's be upfront about, like, you, know, you, pay, you pay consultants, they, they come in, they tell you what to do, and they go away and wash, they give you their invoice and wash their hands of the consequences or the results. So, you know, we know, we, we implement things. We basically go in and then we try to figure out what's needed, and then we will implement those things, and then we take full accountability if it works or not obviously. So, I mean, <laughs> in a nutshell, you know. Why is it called consulting? Because to me, consulting is actually a company has a question and then they need to consult somebody on solving the question. So they consult, they get input and then they go implement it. I guess this is like a classical... No, this is this is a good question. Why is it called consulting? Like, if that's that's what it means. You consult someone if you, if you have a problem, right? And then they basically get you unstuck. But we're talking here also about implementing things. I don't know. It's called consulting too, right? So and this is the kind of consulting. Yeah, it's just a kind of, it's just a subgroup of consulting, type of consulting, probably. But yeah, I, very often I laugh that, you know, you're being paid to kind of come in and advise and then implement what people need. But very often you end up just implementing what people want mm -hmm. because there is, a, there is a limited amount of influence you can actually have. And exerting influence sometimes is just difficult. It really depends on the client. Okay, so first, let me ask you about how you find these clients. So you said that your clients are usually startups, like pre-seed startups or I don't know, Series A startups that do not necessarily have this data infrastructure. So they, in order to do cool things in the future, they need to get the basics first, right? So mm -hmm. how do you find these companies? Where do you find them? Do you open, uh, I don't know, like there are websites where you see TechCrunch, right? Or something like that? Yeah, no. So it's a, <laughs> it's a little bit different. I mean, so, you know, consulting or freelancing or, you know, basically like contractual based work because like at the end of the day, we're external partners or external providers, external contractors. It's a very much network based business. But it's not that you cannot just like wait until your network gives you gigs. You need to help it a little bit, right? So getting the first projects is usually the, it's the most difficult, always. For you, it wasn't that difficult, right? I well, mean, we got it when we switched to consulting. When we uh -huh. switched to consulting, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. And we would tell people like, hey, we're doing consulting now. You reach out to your network first. That's what you do. This is the first step. You basically, you let people who you think can introduce you to potential clients or who can work for you because, you know, you build up your network and people go work for different companies. Maybe they, maybe they need help as well. So you do that first and you let people know that you are looking, right? And you let them know you need to be, you need to think about like, okay, what is my positioning? Who is actually my target customer? Because then if you need to explain to others what you're doing, even if it's just consulting, like, okay, it can have many shapes and forms. 
So you need to think about that and you reach out to them. So that's step number one. How do you actually do this? Like, because uh, it sounds easy, right? So you just okay. Who is my target audience? Who is oh, my target? So How do we position ourselves? Looks simple, but when you actually start, it's not easy. It's not easy, right? So how, how mean, do you... We, we struggle this. up until today. We, we basically, we experiment. Uh-huh. We see what lands, we see what message, what strikes the core on the other side, right? So, I mean, you always start with like, okay, who do I want to work with? And we are even now experimenting with how we position ourselves. So for instance, you know, we, back in like, when we were starting, like, oh, we were the guys who will come in and build, will build your first uh, data warehouse, your first reports, models, et cetera. Like that's what we would, what we were doing. And we had the, like, we knew what is the moment in the life of the, of the company that actually, that this becomes helpful and it actually makes sense because you shouldn't build your data warehouse too fast, right? Like there is a point in time that that makes sense. And at the beginning of the company, like it just, it just simply doesn't. And so we knew which kind of companies we, we should go for. And these were the, the, you know, kind of around series A startups, because this is, you know, if we're doing things right, this is where you're hitting your product market fit. So this is when you're going to start scaling. And that's something that is very useful when you more or less already know what you're doing and you just need to do more of it. You're getting out of the experimentation phase. Did you have any like geographical restrictions? Did you focus on the no. companies in Berlin or you just I mean, targeted everyone? Europe. 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 As long as we're in the more or less in the same time zone, like working with uh, with companies in California would have been difficult. Also, we don't have a footprint that we don't have network and our competition is always local. So mm-hmm. you can go global, but it's, uh, you know, when you want to grow to a certain size and probably makes sense to expand. So, you know, we would talk to VCs, we know a few VCs, et cetera. So, hey, does anyone from your portfolio companies, do they need help? You think about which are the people that you know can help you to lend the clients. And you just need to like, when it comes to, I just want to go back to positioning because that was your question. You need to think about, yeah, who is your customer? And then what is the value proposition? What are you offering them, right? Even in data field, like it can be so many things. Like, so now we're trying to say, you know, we are on-demand data analysts, right? And we work directly with the business and we can help you optimize your revenue. We can help you optimize your marketing spend. We can, you know, maybe there is some kind of risk that you're having in the company and you want to, you want to mute that risk. Maybe you want to know who your customers are. Maybe you want to do some kind of segmentation. We start with a, with a business opportunity or a business problem. And, you know, yes, we can build the infrastructure. We have full stack capabilities. But because we have, like, between the two of us, we, we have the, the, it's a blessing and a curse because we can literally do anything. We start from, you know, we have product skills. Uh, the both of us, like, have data analytics skills. And then Marco has the engineering skills. So we can really do a lot. But you, you can't just tell people, oh, I'm doing everything. It's okay. Like, I'm probably doing nothing. So you need to think about what you want to offer. You can say like, you know what, I am a data scientist or I'm a data engineer. I'm going to partner up with someone and we're just going to hit up the companies that already have big teams and they just need the hands-on support on certain projects. You can do that. That's a position, right? And it just, it just comes down to what you can do, what you can do well and who you can help. And it's, it's difficult. And then you have to choose the right words. <laughs> so first you think, what do I want to do? Like if I'm a data scientist, I want to help companies who already have a data science team, but maybe they are mm-hmm. uh, they are short on people, right? So then I can go there and help with the existing projects. Mm-hmm. Or I can target companies who do not have any data infrastructure, but they want to do some data stuff in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so first you need to define like who is your target customer, right? And then once you define it, you need to come to them and say why they should hire you, right? So why they should get you. So in your case, it was, they probably have some business, uh, well, how to say, problems or things they want to solve, like who are our customers? So, and then, you know, you said like, maybe they need uh, segmentation or optimize markets, uh, spending on marketing, right? So I guess in this case, you need to know the domain in which they work a little bit. So then you can speak the same language to them. You can already yeah. suggest some things. So then this is your messaging right so this is like you have a target customer you already have some problems in mind that you can solve for them mm-hmm. and this is what you pitch right and then if they like they hire you if they don't you keep it rating on your messaging right 
Well, yes. I mean, you know, you can keep iterating on your messaging. You can keep iterating also on your um, on your positioning, right? And it's like, what what is your value proposition? Like, and you can test if you can do multiple things. What is that? Like in these two things, the first is target uh, customer, and then this thing that you can solve them. So, mm-hmm. positioning is related to the first one, or the second, or to both. 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 It's, okay. re- it's related to both. It's kind of yeah. It relates to both. You need to know like it includes who is your customer and what is your offering because from that you can figure out okay where do these people hang out where do i find them who do i know who can introduce me to those people how do i want to structure my messaging around that that's part of the positioning as well can you give an example of this messaging maybe this is what you do to your customers this is what you suggest to your customers right now maybe you can do um, like a picture yeah exactly so for instance you know like okay let's say we're on-demand data analysts right so Okay, it's still very broad. Like data analysts can do a lot of things. So what can you help me with specifically? So if we're talking to, I don't know, a if we're talking to a CFO, you can say, like, look, we can help you optimize your revenue, right? Like you this is these are the tight times. Everyone is, uh, especially if, if we're talking about VC backed um, startups, investors are looking at their PLs with more scrutiny right now. Okay, let us help you find opportunities to either reduce your spend or to increase your revenue. If you need to optimize how much you're spending on marketing, let us help you with that. You know, we can figure out your tracking. We can we can try to optimize where your marketing uh, spend should be going. Like cal- we calculate your return on investment, etc. Maybe we can do something around attribution. It really depends on who we're talking to. Anticipate the problems that they have. I guess you need to do a bit of homework, right? So before you yes. speak with a customer, you want to understand. Okay, they're in this particular market segment. Probably they have this, this, and these problems. And then you go to a meeting with them and you say that this is what we can help with and you start talking. And then uh, while talking, you realize that maybe the problem is not what you want to suggest, but something related, right? And then mm-hmm. while talking, you figure this out, right? Yeah, and then, you know, it's going back to how you acquire the customer. So like, you know, because that is relevant, like again, the positioning, etc. So right now we're testing a few things because last year was fantastic. Right. Last year we were rejecting project because we just did not have capacity. And last year was still a year where there was a lot of VC money and people were still higher. End of the year, we saw like a lot of layoffs in various companies, right? And because of that, and that would also include uh, people in the data, in the data industry. So because of that, there was influx of people into the market. And you know. Yes, there were layoffs, but there are still a lot of companies that are hiring. Like you can still find a job. Like this, the competition on the market became uh, bigger when we were a job seeker, but there are still companies that are hiring. And uh, those companies who have the budgets and have problems were solving six months ago could not hire. And this is where you actually, a external contractor is becoming very attractive to you because you can have that person tomorrow mm-hmm. and you know trying to poach etc there's just not enough supply for the demand right now the demand is like it's much smaller and supply increased therefore you know the companies who are cutting budgets obviously like they're cutting like maybe taking contractors doesn't make much sense however it might in some cases actually and then people who, who still have the you know certain needs to, to be fulfilled, they can just hire easily now and probably cheaper because the salaries are also inflated. And now we're probably going to see a decrease in the size. The market is shifting towards the employer market a little bit. Is there still room for consulting right now in this market? I think it, it's tougher. Yes. So, you know, one of the cons is of, of doing this is that there's uncertainty. Yesterday, today you have projects, tomorrow you might not have. And essentially, it is up to you to find work. But um, yeah, like I believe that it's still possible. Like we do have a little bit of work. We're having, we're talking to people. We, we're having leads. So that's there's definitely the you know, it's still people still need support. But this is where the you know how you position yourself, etc. This is where it becomes crucial because so you rely on certain distribution channels. Let's call them that. And it's not that they are super repeatable. It's not like you're just like, I'm going to spend money here and I know I'm going to get clients. It doesn't work like that. I mean, you can do it with outbound sales, but if you're small, that might not necessarily make a lot of sense. So yes, network, but then it's, you know, you, you message people, you talk to them, you wait. 
we do content. We try to do LinkedIn works. Actually, it's it's very interesting. Like you know, if you put yourself out there with a very constant messaging that relates with your target audience, we've seen people are actually reaching out to you to solve their problems. So that's why it's important to play around with the message and then build the content that you produce around that. So Katya, who puts it in the touch, she says exactly the same thing. And by the way, if uh, you're listening to us right now, hi. Thanks for putting us together. So I think, yeah, she mentioned that LinkedIn. We know this from her. We collaborate on a few things. So that's so that's why the messaging is important. Uh, you know, content in general is works. And we also, we had people getting in touch with us in the past because someone saw a blog post that we wrote and then someone asked that person if they know anyone. It's like, oh, I actually read that blog post. You know what? Go talk to these guys. Uh, maybe they can help you. It just building this up takes time, but in the long run, it pays off. So you do those things, you do all of them, and it all compounds. And then that's how you build a stable engine to be able to talk to people. So you need network, and then network, you get referrals, right? So uh, happy clients refer other clients, but you also need uh, other sources of yeah. leads, right? And then Absolutely. one of the sources is content. And content could be, you mentioned LinkedIn posts, you post messages targeted at your ideal customers, at mm -hmm. your target customers. And then you also write blog posts that are also targeted mm -hmm. at these customers. Uh, by the way, so do you do these posts yourselves or you have uh, some sort of content manager? How do you do this? No, at the moment we do them ourselves. Mm -hmm. When we started writing blog posts, we worked with an editor, the freelance editor who would help us Because, you know, writing is difficult. Like, it's a skill on its own. Okay, yes, for you, for product manager, it's easier because no. you need to, no? <laughs> uh, for software engineers, it's probably harder than for product. It's a skill. It's a skill, yeah. If you're not doing it on a regular basis. It has rules that you need to, you know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of things to consider. So we work with someone that would, you know, help us structure the articles better, like read through them, proofread them, uh, point out mistakes, etc. So that helps because then you learn from that person as well. Do you get tips? Uh, you talk to that person like, hey, maybe you should structure in a different way. And the person that you work with doesn't need to know anything about what you're doing. You need to explain, et cetera. And then, but we still like, we often today, we still write our own content. I like writing my own content because it's just, it allows me to also express who I, who I am. It's mine. Um, so it's kind of important to me that I write that. And then there is a question that has been there for quite some time. And I think now it's time we covered that. So the question mm -hmm. is, how did you decide on pricing for your first client? Um, okay, we're going to go with that. Okay. I mean... For those who listen to this without the video, so what did you just do? It was a more or less random number. I mean, okay. no, sorry, it wasn't random. It, it was it was a number. It was not random. So we looked at what competitors are charging. And then the way you need to think about is you want to base your pricing based on value. You don't base a pricing of something based on what it costs you to produce it. That's the first thing. Like if you're trying to design a product or a service, that's the first thing you need to understand. The service does not cost how much it is You know, the service does not cost the client or customer. It's not the price based on the manufacturing costs. It's based on the value that whatever you're doing is providing, right? And it can be. So, you know, our thinking was more or less along those lines, right? So we tried to enable a data analyst. And at the time, hiring data engineers was extremely difficult because these are the times that everyone, data engineering was so hot, everyone wanted to hire one. I even did like benchmarking and I did some LinkedIn searches to just quantify how many jobs are out there versus how many people with the, the, the title. And the gap was massive. Like in Europe, it was 100% and in the States it was like 200%. So even in the, in the US, even if everyone quit or was fired or was poached and switched jobs, the gap would still exist, which is ridiculous. So data engineer cost X, I'm saving you the, you know, the full-time hire. So the service, obviously it's, you know, It needs to be cheaper than a full-time hire. Like that's the rule of the thumb. Cheaper in which sense? Because um, I guess for you as a consultant, you 
need to charge a bit more than, let's say, a month of work of a data engineer? Ah, sorry. I was referring, if you're selling a product, uh-huh, you're selling okay. a product right? So if you're selling a product. I understand. But for cons- like so so and then you, you ballpark okay maybe it should be this right and then you uh-huh. say okay what is what is other competition charging so at the beginning like getting the pricing right is not that crucial at the beginning is more important see like you know if whatever I'm selling sells and people are willing to pay for it and then you will have to change your pricing on the way uh, once you get more data points on what works what doesn't when you learn what the value is that you provide uh-huh. for consulting you know like. The way we look at this is also like it's not that like we we charge the daily rates, but it's also not that someone is paying us for our time. Someone is paying us for the fact that we've seen things multiple times, and we will be able to tell people and navigate a situation that they've never seen before, and we did. So that's why the pricing is based off of that. The other thing, when you're hiring external you know, we can be fired at will. Tomorrow you can tell us that we don't want to work, like we don't want to work together. And that's perfectly fine. And that's where that premium goes as well. So that's for us, we compensate that, you know, tomorrow we're not a full-time employee, especially in Germany. It's not like when we pass probation period, it's very difficult to let people go. So you need to include that. So that's why you pay the premium on it. Is there any rule of thumb, let's say, I don't know, take a salary of a senior data analyst and multiply it by two or something like that? No, we, I mean, you try to figure out what the market price is, like mm-hmm. what the hourly rate is. How do you do this? Like, well, how do you figure Do you look at how much other consultants charge? Yeah, you can. I mean, like other, we talk to each other. Right? It's, you know, the community is there and we talk to each other. And, you know, with the ones that we know, at least we kind of know what the ballpark pricing is and, and what everyone charges. And it's, that's okay. Uh, when we... <laughs> When we first started and we had the first, like one of the first clients, it was a, a person that we knew. And he was also like giving us advice you know, on, on startups and how to build a company, etc. And he had experience with actually consulting as well. And he said, like, we quoted, he's like, oh, so, you know, how much do you charge? And we said, like, hey, we want this. And then he looked at us and said, like, you know what? Next time you do this, I'm very happy to take that price. Next time you do this, double it. Mm-hmm. So did you end up doubling it for that person or? No. Okay. <laughs> for, the next, for the next clients, yes. So the other, uh-huh. the other thing is what is really good to, to think about is to figure out what is your maximum rate? Like what is, what is your starting rate? Like what is the ideal that you want to charge? And obviously it cannot be ridiculous, right? Like can, so I'm going to charge, I don't know, 1,000 per hour. That's just not going to fly. It's, it's impossible. But you need to figure out like... Okay, mm, too bad. <laughs> I mean, maybe it depends on what you do. It depends on what you do, right? Like but not in the data space, right? Not in the data space, no. I mean, if you figure out that how you can sell one hour of your work for 1,000, do let me know. Uh-huh. So I guess usually it's like 1,000 for a day, right? Or something like that. Yeah, that's ballpark um, mm-hmm. rates. And it depends, you know, it depends on what kind of work you're doing and how long is the, the collaboration with the, with the client is going to last. And so this is your starting rate. And then you also need to think about the absolute bare minimum that you are willing to take the job for. And this is useful because when someone asks you about a price, and even if it's a, you know, a friendly company owner, like someone that comes from the network, like, or, you know, or from, from close friends or whatever, and they ask you, please make me a good deal. Never, ever start with a good deal because no matter what you quote, people will try to bring it down. And we made that mistake a few times. Actually, good friends, right? Um, <laughs> we made that we made that mistake a few times. So right now we're always starting with this is our starting rate, and then no matter what it is, people always try to bring it down. And then you know you start with the high one, and then you basically end up more or less in in what is what is acceptable. Okay. With the daily price, I have no experience in consulting. Just something that's on my mind is you have this incentive to work for more days so instead of uh, you know thinking what is the most effective way to solve the problem and have a solution uh, you start thinking about days like okay like i need six months for that and then this is how much it will cost right Uh, Mm -hmm. so you kind of create incentive that maybe like for you you don't even realize that uh, because it's like our internal bias to work more instead of working less and more effective Yes, this is an excellent question. So 
And you're right. Like, I mean, there is an incentive to be working, to work more, more days, etc. Now we try, and I'm like, I'm being very honest. Like, we try really like not to do it. We try to really, you know, be honest and say like, you know, this will take X days, and then maybe maybe it will take more, maybe it will take less. And you know, our incentive is at the end of the day, we want to help because if you know, there's also a very big incentive for you to do a good job and for the client to be happy. Because if the client is happy, is, is exactly because if the client is not happy, they're not going to refer you. They actually might, you know, this is it's this is a small world. Everyone knows each other, like especially like in the startup ecosystem in in Germany and even like in Europe in general, like people talk. So you know, the fact that you didn't do a very good job is people are going to hear about it, and you don't want that. You want mm-hmm. them to be happy. You want them to refer you because no one goes into um, into Google search or these days Bing, if now Bing is a thing again, and says, okay, I need data consultants. Like, who are data consultants? No, like you go to someone that you know and ask, hey, do you know him? And that's how this search happens. So you want happy clients. So, you know, if your incentive is to ride as long and then ride on the, you know, maybe an experience or the fact that they know, they don't know how certain things go, work, or they don't know the tech or, they don't know how long it's going to take. Like it's going to bite you at some point. So there is also incentive to avoid that, and there is incentive to, yeah. to to kind of be be honest and actually helpful to your customers. Then there is another thing that you know you can turn around and say, okay, let's charge for a project. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is, in general, it's very impossible to know what a deliverable should cost because you don't know how much it's going to take before you actually start. You need a few iterations, right? So you cannot just come up with a project proposal that, you know, you deliver and you shake hands and you exactly part ways, right? So exactly. you always need to make a few iterations. If there is manual work involved and, you know, you can automate certain things, that's obviously possible. You can build little tools for yourself that make your next project easier if it's the same type of a project. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the main effort that we do on our projects is really data goes into data modeling and that mapping of the business into SQL tables and business entities, et cetera, so that you can actually make this then useful for the rest of the company. You don't know how much time it's going to take. You can ballpark things, of course. Like, you know, if you have one source, like it's probably going to be easier. I just need to figure out that one source, right? If it's your application database, okay, now I need to talk to developers. I probably can figure if you're doing if you're an e-commerce business or if you're a delivery company, when I look at it, I will be I will know what I'm looking at because this is not the first time I'm looking at it. But there'll still be bugs, there'll still be like weird things that I will need to go and figure out. Uh, I still need to talk to you know stakeholders. Um, some of them are not like super available because they're also busy people. So you might be rescheduling things. You need to figure out, you need to get a feel for what the stakeholder, you know, how they like to be communicated with. You need to get a feel of, okay, how do I get the information that I need from those people? So there is always that kind of uncertainty because you never know what we're going to discover. And usually it's impossible to project how much something should cost based on the effort that is going to go into it because you just don't know. And then at some point, like if you do these projects, then there is always one side that is unhappy. Either it took less time, right? Because it's possible, like it's very viable that like you discover oh, it's super easy. I can solve it in a week, right? And we're charging like for a month of work. Then the client will be unhappy because now the, the client thinks they're being overcharged or you spend a significant more amount of time on it and then it's just unprofitable for you. So we don't have a lot of time, so maybe I'll ask a very quick question, just yes or no answer. Uh, is Germany a good country to register a consultancy company? Yes and no. As okay. a good consultant would say, the answer is yes and no. If you want to primarily target German companies, German small, medium-sized companies or German enterprises, then yes, Germany is a good place to find, find a company because those clients will treat you seriously or actually will consider you at all if you have a company in Germany. And ideally, that company is GmbH, which is a complex form of, of, uh, of, incorporation, of incorporation, especially in Germany. If you don't care who your customers, like where your customers are, if it's like Europe, et cetera, or your customers are primarily like startups, then you can consider other countries you can do Netherlands and it's very easy. You can do most of it online. It's very quick. Everything is in English. 
you can consider Estonia because then it's then it's just simplicity. You know, doing it in Germany has a certain amount of bureaucracy involved with it, and that comes with it, which we learned the hard way. Where are you registered? In Germany. In Germany. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, the last question: Are there any books or other resources that you can recommend to our listeners? Other than the mom test. Yes, there is one that is very interesting that um, it's called Think Like a Rocket Scientist. Okay. And it's written by an actual rocket scientist, a person, the guy who was working for NASA and he was working on the team, operational team that was uh, sending the things to Mars. And it's basically, it's, it deconstructs a way how you approach projects and how you should be thinking about projects it has a lot of overlap with like how you would build software like there's like how oh, you should test you should test etc but it's just basically it shows you it breaks down how you should start with your problem or like the big idea and then kind of reverse engineer and start like and, and formulate for a plan from the top down rather than just like trying things randomly and it's written in a very easy easy way and there are like really, um, really cool examples and real stories from like, you know, how, from like uh, the space missions and how NASA would, you know, screw things up. So it's it's an easy light read, but it actually, there is a lot of good advice. So if you, you know, if you don't have extensive experience in product management field and, cause like I do, I do those things on autopilot, you know, right now, it actually teaches you the, the, the kind of thinking that is, that is needed. Like, you know, starting a company is a project. Like how would you go about it, right? That's, that there is a lot of good advice there. Thank you. That's all we have time for today. So thanks a lot, Alexander, for joining us today. Thank for you. sharing your knowledge, expertise, like everything you learned from your experience of starting a company, starting a consultancy company. And thanks everyone for joining us today too, for listening in, for asking questions. And have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.